But I want to ask you guys the question, how good are you at valuing the poor? All right, and then I want to ask the question in a different way. How high of a value do you give to the rich? And I'm going to ask it in, a, in another way, just so you can think about it. Not, high of a, not just high of a value, how, how, how much do you appreciate the perspective of the successful in our culture versus appreciating the person who is not successful? You say, well, those are two different things. It's like how you see the world and maybe someone who hasn't succeeded in the world. But I want to I highlight that idea that the way we value the poor, the way we see the world, it's really heavily influenced by the culture we're in. God for months has been putting these scriptures in front of me and making me think about them. For months he's been challenging me and I, I just I feel like I'll talk a lot today from my own like wrestling match with God. I I think in a in the healthiest and like most purely intentioned way for my whole life I've grabbed hold of the idea that God wants me to be successful and I need to prosper in a lot of ways in order for my own fulfillment to be like realized. And the only perspective I have on that is like how our culture prospers, right? It's normal. It's like, how, what does prosperity mean? What does success mean? You just look around at all the people that we live with and you kind of you come up with your own idea. It's like, well, this person is successful because they live in that certain house. Or this person's successful because their family looks a certain way. Or this one's successful because they're in charge of something. Maybe they're, they're an executive in a business. This one's successful because they have a certain amount of money. And so... So from a very young age, I worked very hard, and I think most of you are probably similar. It's like you, you really worked hard in different ways to be successful, achieve. Maybe it's not all in the same. It's like some of us want to be mathematicians, some of us want to be educators, some of us want to be different things, but you always work hard with this idea of succeeding in that field, doing the best with what you've got. It's a very biblical concept. It's very much a God idea. It's not a bad thing. But what I want to think about today together is, are we a little out of balance in our perspective? Are we weighing more heavily on the side of success than we are of God's values? Not to say success is not a God value, but to understand that there is a balance that James cautions his church about. James was the brother of Jesus. James was alive just obviously during the time of Jesus and after Jesus' resurrection. James is there with the church and he ends up being one of the foremost pastors of the largest church, Christian church in Jerusalem. So he's the leader of the ones that convert to Christ and remain living in and around the, the center of all you know, the culture and everything we talked about previously. It's like the hub of civilization for Israel at that time. He's there with them, and he's in that city. Do you remember last week? I was like, Jesus went out to Galilee. It was like resurrection was come with me back home to a place of, of simplicity, a place where we never, we never really considered wealth and success. Galilee was where we were raised, and we were fishermen. We just ate 
the fish we caught. We were carpenters. We made simple things and we sold them just enough to, to make a living. None of us were really prosperous in the worldly ways. We were simple people. James sticks around because he's called to stick around in Jerusalem, which is the other side of the culture. And even within our cities and our Bay Area, there's, there's places where you go like, in San Jose, there's like the hood, and then there's the really wealthy part of San Jose. I grew up in Hayward. I grew up in a tough part of Hayward. There was gangs and things. But then there's the Hayward Hills, and there's these, these differences, even in our small locations, where there's, there's less money, less affluence, less success. I'll say success. But then there's the opposite. There's these pictures of, oh, this is, must be what success looks like. Well, well, James was living in and proximate to, as close as he could, to the ones that had the success. I guarantee you a big portion of his church were successful people. That's why they were able to survive and live there in that city. Successful by that, that, those days' standards. James, in his book, he, he talks in the most seemingly harsh way. He's very direct. He's very strong. He's very intense with what he says to the people that he's living with and doing life with, that he loves. And he asked this question in James 2, if you can put it up on the slide there, Michael. And it's a crazy question to ask to a, a group of people that have experienced like the resurrection of Jesus. They've experienced life where they're, they're literally standing in faith in opposition to all of those that were holding on to the old faith. And remember, Jesus was persecuted and killed because he was declaring a new era of the faith. And so these are people that were really serious about their faith. There's no question about it. They had to be to live in Jerusalem at this time and follow Jesus. But James starts this chapter, this letter, with this question. He says, my brother... Oh, that's not it. James 2. It says... I'm going to read it out of this version. What version do you got? Okay, I'm going to read it out of the New Revised. So it says, My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to read it again. It's not up there. Take a second and do the NRSV so we're on the same thing. It says, My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? He's asking them, do you even have faith in the same God? Are you even aligned with the centerpiece of our faith because you're favoring one person over another? It's a really strong, like, it's kind of an accusation directive. It's, it's a harsh word. It's really intense. And I, I don't feel like we as a group are, are in error and, like, uh, like prosperity being the only measure of success in our faith. There's a lot of versions of Christianity where it's like, you're, you're not really evidence, you don't have a lot of evidence in your life that God, you're God's kid unless you have a lot of favor, and then they'll translate that to money. And I think that's an error. I think that's really a mistake. I don't think we're there. But I think there's, a, there's something at the foundation of the gospel and who Jesus was that James was reminding the church of in the most harsh way. And he's like, are you even 
born again, are you even saved if you really prefer one over the other, rich over poor? I'm going to read this whole passage, and I just want you to be thinking about that question. And this is not a question for a church 2,000 years ago. It's a question for us right now. Are you really following Jesus if you have priority in your life for the ones who are seemingly more successful than the ones who are not? That's the core question. All right, let me read it. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, hey, have a seat here next to me, please. While to the one who is poor, you say, stand there or sit there at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that God has invoked over you? All right. You like that one? I like that one too. I'm trying to like that one. It's more than walking down the street and acknowledging that someone lives either on the street or they live maybe in a place that's not as nice as the place you aspire to live in. It's, it's a whole value system. It's an idea that the wealthy and successful people in our culture must know better. They must be, be better. They must have greater insight. They must have greater perspective. They must have better access to truth. It creeps into all of us on some level. And, and where we're going today, and I want to prepare you guys for this, we're going to leave, before we leave today, I'm going to ask for repentance from all of us. But it's going to be twofold. There's repentance on the side of, yes, I do have preference and priority for, for the rich. And not just the ones with money, but the ones who have influence over our culture and society. That's, a, that's the obvious repentance. The other side of repentance is I've actually devalued myself or others like me because I don't see myself or others like me as those people. So I think I'm worth less than they are because they are succeeding in ways that our culture say they should. And I think we, need, we all need to repent on both sides of this. Because if you are impoverished, Jesus says, you are exalted. If you are rich, Jesus says, you should be very careful because you're at risk of losing everything. Not just here on earth, but eternity. Jesus, if he were in this room, he would look at us and he'd say, are your values like mine? Are you, are you ascending culture? Are you ascending relationships? Are you pursuing things so that you will be exalted here on earth? Doesn't that sound like the guy who got kicked out of heaven? Doesn't it sound like the one who had access to all the good things, but he valued his aspirations more than the assignment God had given him? I wonder if in our hearts we're not guilty 
of condemning ourselves and then condemning others because we see with our eyes, but we don't see with our spirit. See, if Jesus were in this room, he'd take inventory not on what he saw. He wouldn't look at your clothes, the brands. He wouldn't figure out your address or your background and your education. He'd look into your spirit and he'd see your faith. And he'd say, you're rich, you're rich, you're rich. And he'd look at you and he'd say, you're poor, you're poor, you're poor. And we'd be, we'd be so confused. We'd be so confused. Do you remember when Jesus was walking around and, and the Pharisees would come out and they'd ask him questions and he'd say, you're so lost, you're so broken, you're so wrong. And all, all you can do is point out the deficiencies in the people around you. And you're really doing it to exalt yourself, not to devour them. You're doing it because you want to be lift up. And, and, and I just wonder if he were here with me, would he say, Vince, you're so good at valuing the things I value? Or would he say, Vince, you keep walking by the ones who are so rich in faith? You see, I, I think the fundamental struggle for us is we see with our eyes and we hear with our ears and we, are, we have a muted spirit. Our spirit is like, it's been turned on, but it's like on baby step number one. It's like the baby, I'm going to use the baby illustration because I see a baby in the background. But it's like when a baby is born, they have eyes and ears, but they're really, really not aware of what to do with them. Do they work? Yes, they work. Are they there? Yes, they're there. But they don't know how to harness them or do that, do much with them. And it takes time for them to start to get, get their senses together. When you become a Christian, when you say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life and I want to receive you as king. The Bible says you're born again and, and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. That's day one. You're a baby. And it's your opportunity to engage with the Spirit and let the Spirit take precedence and priority over your natural faculties. But most of us in our maturing in our faith, we stop. We never progress past that moment where we're happy to be born again and we learn the list of rules we can read with our natural eyes. We never engage with the Spirit where he says, I want to teach you my ways that you only can understand if you're connected in the Spirit and you're prioritizing the spirit prompt over your natural prompt. And the natural prompt says, understand what's in front of you, evaluate with your eyes and use your natural wisdom to assess the situation. Make judgments based on what you see and know. Make choices in how you interact based on what you see and hear. But what Jesus saw when he sat at the well was he saw a woman who'd been divorced five times. He wouldn't have seen that with his natural eyes. He would have seen it with his spirit. And he would have looked past the, the, the natural interaction and he would have said, there's a life that's deep here. There's a well in this woman that's deep here. I'm not going to judge her with eyes like my disciples judged her. I'm going to connect with the Holy Spirit and I'm going to lead her to the true life that she's been designed for because I see in her poverty a great well of opportunity. Jesus was different. His values were different. That woman went back to town and the whole town came out. 
Was she qualified for that? Would you have met her and said, this one will lead hundreds or thousands to the Lord? Or would you have said, this one's broken, battered and abused, dysfunctional, diagnosed in a certain way, and therefore is not safe or worth my time? Jesus saw her and he was overwhelmed because the well of life in her was so deep. And, and I'll just tell you, I, there's something in the scripture where God is like the orphan and the widow, the orphan and the widow. He says it over and over. Like you should prioritize, like this is what true religion is. James says it. He's like, true religion is serving the orphan and the widow. In that culture at that time, these were ones that are almost like castaways. These are the ones that would have been homeless because they would have had no, no money. A widow can't provide for herself in that culture. A orphan has no family and therefore is kind of wandering and lost. I feel like it's God's design in his order for the ones who are broken and abandoned on earth in the natural time of their, their arrival, for him to move in and empower them in ways that the ones who have everything provided for them would never have access to. It's like in the spirit he comes in with support and strength because their faith to even look to him with hope is so much greater than the faith of one that has everything and is looking to him for blessing. And so often for us, our time and our attention is devoted to the ones who are over here with so much success. And we say, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if that great leader was converted to Christ, what an influence he would have. Jesus, on the other hand, would look around and go, look at that one who's holding on by a thread. Look at the widow with her might. That one gift that she was able to give was worth all that these guys could ever have given. He would have looked at them and said, the faith in that one is so great, I'm going to build a company or a nation or a people out of her. It's everywhere in Scripture, guys. This theme is everywhere. I just wonder how deeply it's impacted me. I wonder how reoriented my perspective is after having read of God's value system for decades. I wonder if I haven't latched on to the idea that success means all good things come to me because I'm his kid. I think I've latched on to that and there's truth in that. But James, if he were here, would say, Vince, yes, that's true. It's true now and eternally, but it's true in the spirit before it is in the natural. And if it manifests in the natural, good. But Paul would say something like, hey, if I'm here and I stay here longer, it's good for you. But if I'm not here and nothing more good comes to me in the natural, it's actually better for me because it's the eternal conversation that's driving everything that I'm about. So how do we get to be more like Jesus? How do we see the fruits of Jesus walking among us? We change. We change. We radically change. We begin to value the ones who aren't as clear in their mind. We begin to value the ones who can't provide for us financially or even motivationally because they don't have the qualification in our culture to lead us anywhere. 
we begin to take time to slow down and go, what is my agenda and does it matter when there's a human being sitting right in front of me? Maybe my healing anointing isn't showing up because I'm praying for all the rich. And you go, well, I don't really know any rich people. No, 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 I think you do. I think, I think most of us are rich. Like, you know what I mean? Like by definition, most of us are rich. Rich meaning we don't really wonder if we're going to eat tomorrow. Rich meaning we, we, have, we have backup if things don't go really well financially. Rich meaning we're, we're pretty stable and taken care of. It's the poor in spirit that God is focused on over and over and over again. And it's not just spirit, it's the poor. You say, well, there's poor financially. And this is, I'm telling you this because this is where I've gone in my mind to try to think through all of this because I want to think through it because I'm uncomfortable with it. This is an uncomfortable confrontation. It's confrontation when you allow it to be. It's just reading when you don't. You could, you could fly through this and go, yeah, I can recite it all to you. I know what Jesus' values are. And it never touches your heart because you have a hard heart. And you say, I have a soft heart. I'm the sweetest person. You can have a really soft heart in all the areas of life you want to have a soft heart in, but you have this other area of life where you don't want to have a soft heart, and therefore you don't, and it's hard. You could be amazingly gentle and kind to the people that are aged 12 and under, but anyone after 12 is like enemy of the state, and you will just take them out at the knees, and you, are, you don't care. You see this a lot in business. You see people that are soft-hearted with their family and so good, and then they go to work and they become monsters and they take advantage of the poor. They take advantage of people. And they, they cheat and they lie and they steal and they, they sacrifice others' well-being for their advancement. But they're the sweetest, kindest people because they have a heart that's divided. James talks about divided hearts too. It's like you say one thing, but you do another, and there's, you look in the mirror, and you, you believe one thing, but you don't act the same way. It's like, it's a very normal condition, and you go, hey, I want to do the whole Jesus thing. I want to see all the dreams and all the prophecies come true in my life that God promised. Well, it requires change. It requires a conversion. It requires rebirth. And I just want to, I want us to consider, I want us to consider our preference seriously not just academically like no I don't prefer actions actions who's the first person you talk to if there's people in the room at work do you go to the ones that are strong because you want to be strong and you connect well with strong people or do you go to the ones that are weak because you know that they could use life and light and you're actually stronger so you can lift them up do you Find yourself concerned with the opinions of those who are successful over the truth about what God has said about your life. That's a poverty versus wealth mindset. It's that the, the perspective and view of those who are successful is more important than the foundations of my faith and what Jesus actually said my values ought to be. You see, if you, if you segregate your life in such a way that allows you to create rooms where it's like my work life, I think, and act this way because it's professional and it's, it's right. And my church life is this. And then my, pretty soon you'll find that you have no consistency and you're unstable in all your ways. It'll show up at some point. You might be super wealthy, but you're super poor in spirit by the time you get there. 
was never God's intention. He was giving you favor for purpose. But you can be lost in that, that success. How do we prefer the poor as a church? How do we prefer the poor as individuals? How do we adopt Jesus' priorities in his life? Galilee was a place for the poor. He lived there. He didn't aspire to live in Jerusalem. He was on assignment and he held on to that assignment. You guys remember when, G- when uh, Satan tempted Jesus? He said I'll, one of the temptations is he brought him to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. And he's like, you could be over this. Gosh, it's weird that, it's weird that Satan could give him authority if he wanted to over the temple in Jerusalem. But he could have because it was a religious institution in a successful city where there was power and authority. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in serving the Father. I'm on assignment. I'll only go where he sends me because that's my place of authority. And my values aren't corrupted. I don't need to be a boss. I don't need to be in charge. I don't need to be rich. I am excited to be alive serving the king. See, there's something that can creep into wealthy, successful societies. Suicide rates are higher in wealthy nations than they are in poor nations. People are broken inside and silent in their success while the poor are, are exposed and treated like leftovers. There's something going on that God wants to highlight in our church, in our region, and I'm excited that he's choosing to do it with us. He wants us to have his value for the poor. He wants us to be poor in spirit so that we can be blessed. It was the first one after all. It's poor in spirit. It's poor in value. Rich is fleeting. It is not the goal. Poor in spirit is humility. What greater gift could God give me than give me humility so that I could see him and know him when he walks in the room? James wouldn't have warned against the the challenge of wealth if it wasn't really a challenge. It's really, really hard. Jesus said it's like as hard as a camel going through the eye of a needle. What that meant was like there was, there was walls around Jerusalem and all these towns, and they, they, they had eyes, which was like a little archway, like this, so that you could like get out if you needed to, but it was really for like runoff and like water and different things. It was small, and a camel to get under that little archway would have to kneel down like on the ground and like be drug through. It was almost impossible, but it could be done. And so when Jesus is talking about the, the opportunity for the wealthy to enter the kingdom, to actually participate in the greater things of God, he was like, it's that hard. Everyone knew what that meant. It's close to impossible. Why is it close to impossible? We say if you're wealthy, you're favored by God. We say if you're rich, you're, you're, you're succeeding and it's God's idea. Now, I'll tell you, I've lived on both sides of this. I've lived where I was poor. I grew up in a poor home, a single mother, low income, 
She took care of us, God took care of us. We had what we, everything we ever dreamt of having. And looking back, we had just enough to do what we needed to do. No more, really. We didn't really realize there was more in life. And then I've been on the other side where God's given me a lot of, lot of financial favor. I am not outside of God's will because I'm successful financially, but I was also not outside of God's will because I didn't have any money. It's important that regardless of where we are on that continuum, and realize, guys, a lot of times wealth does this, and then it does this. Generationally, it's very rare for it just to keep doing this. God's not interested and focused on that first, although it's definitely part of something he's interested in doing in our generation. He's interested in giving wealth to this generation of Christians. He is. He's restoring wealth in a lot of ways. But I'll just tell you there's risk in wealth if its priority and values as it relates to our culture are higher in your heart and your mind than his values as it relates to money. So I've had, a, I've had like all kinds of visions and, and pictures of, of this group growing in really significant ways. I've had pictures of people camped out at our park right next door, waiting in lines to come in here. And in my mind, I was like, oh, that's amazing. They're going to come from all over the country and want to be in here with us. I think the right perspective is they're already camped out over there. And why wouldn't they come here? And why wouldn't God miraculously start to begin to help through us, the people who are living right next door? I bet we could stay here for 20 more years, and if we don't get this principle in our heart, we'd never have the effect on one person that needs us in this neighborhood. We would just kind of keep going with life, keep aspiring for more favor and blessings, keep being concerned when things don't go quite our way, all the while missing out on the whole point of why we're physically right here. There's a really wonderful field of opportunity for us. And so I just want you guys with me, before we even begin to talk as a church about what we're going to start to do where we go and do, because for me, it's so essential that we have worship down, which we do have down. And then it's about the right spirit, which is what this talk is about. And then we go with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and we start help, helping people, loving people, bringing joy to people, healing people, and making them whole. But we have to have the right spirit about us. We have to have the right mindset and the right value system. Otherwise, you just go with something, but you're not carrying the truth and spirit of God with you. You could say the right thing, but if it's not true in you, there's no life and power in it. And I just, I want to lead us in repentance as a church. You go, hey, I'm not guilty of all this, Vince. Well, you're going to stand in then with me for the church, the ones who are here before us, the ones who are coming after us, that we're declaring that this church will begin to embody the spirit and value system of God that is able to see in the spirit and value with the spirit and give priority to human beings, not priority to those who are ahead, not ahead in revelation, ahead in perspective, ahead in wealth, ahead in in relational advancements, whatever. There's nothing that we want to prioritize over Jesus and a human being. It's a very simple equation. 
but I want us to come before God with a spirit of, of humility and just say, God, search my heart. Search out the things in me where I'm actively making decisions, actively prioritizing prosperity over poverty in all facets of my life. I mentioned a few, and I want to highlight it again. The obvious ones are what we'll do with outreach and that, that side of it. The not-so-obvious ones are the way you interact with humans in the arenas God has called you to. So he's called each of you guys to different places. You say, well, I work at a really successful technology company. Everyone there is rich. Yes, but there's, there's poverty within the hearts of the ones who are in wealthy places. There's some that absolutely are confident and clear and healthy and strong in Christ. But there's others who are broken and need healing and hope. And that's who you're called to. And so it's, it's having eyes to see what God sees. It's having a heart to connect with the Spirit of God and then with, with authority be able to love someone who needs it. And so it's a reworking. It's like a redesigning the way I think. And I just want to encourage you guys, it doesn't require years of study or years of repentance. It's a moment and it's an invitation that you sincerely make for the Holy Spirit to come and start to give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to connect with people the way he does. It's that simple. And then let him, let him over time, begin to show you the ways you're not consistent in your actions or your thinking. And he'll give you opportunities. And this is what I'm so excited for, because I know I don't have to teach on let's go help the poor. I just have to get us to a place where we sincerely say, Jesus, make me like you in that area of my heart and my mind. And I repent and I ask you, God, to just put this mindset in me so that I don't see with my eyes. I see with my spirit and I love the way you loved. And all my, my values are reoriented around just loving people well. People. Pe people. Because out of that change, guys, you're going to absolutely change. You will change. Your success in work will change. Your success in joy will change. Your ability to minister to people will absolutely change. Your eyes to see people who need help will change. God will do it, though, and I, I just want to warn you, when you invite Jesus to change you in this way, where you start to see the way he sees, he will give you opportunities really quickly Someone will pop up in your mind or your life or in your way. And he's not going to say, hey, go help them. He's going to quietly go, I wonder if they're going to help them. I wonder if they're going to turn to them and then ask me, how do I help them? Or are they just going to kind of walk by like they always have walked by? He's going to give you the opportunity to prioritize the quiet ones in the arena you're called in over the strong ones to value the perspective and opinions and worth of the quiet ones who are lower on the totem pole in the arenas you're in. Where you bring life and joy and hope to them and value them as people over the strong ones where you go, oh yes, good job. Leader, you're so wise and smart. I wish I could be like you. They don't need that. 
They don't need that. And you don't need that to advance. But I'll ask you, are you oriented towards that because you have a priority system that's wrong? See, because if you have great faith and you really believe, if God has called you to a thing, he will advance you to that thing. And you can have his principles and act in strength according to his principles in any environment and he will still advance you. But you are threatened if your priorities are wrong. It's very practical in business and I've seen it a ton. It's really easier to demonstrate just in our everyday walk of life. But I want you to understand that God can get you anywhere in your career that he wants. But he's excited to do that with people who are totally him, just like him. He doesn't want you to be a syncretist. There's a cool word for you guys. Where it's like you're all corrupted. You have mixture in the way you think and believe. You have a mixture of like the, the doctrines of the day or the spirit of the environment that you're in. The culture of your work is a, is a thing that can creep into you if it's not a Christian culture. And so it's you that, that stands in faith without defying everyone. You're there in love and you're, you're yielded, but you're never compromised in your value for people. It's always people over me. Jesus, when asked about taxes, was like, yeah, give, them, give it to him. Give it to Caesar. I hope you guys paid your taxes. They're due in two days. Um, he's like, give it to him. Money didn't matter to him at all. At all. Like at all. He had everything he needed for every day of his life. And actually, that's God's promise for you. And if you actually believe it, you may reorient your priorities a little bit. You'd reorient your time. You'd reorient your job choice. I'll go that far. You may reorient, like, what does joy look like in the pursuit of this priority system I have versus joy looking like in the... It's like, oh, I could see how I'm a different person if I actually live this way. All right. This message is, like, months long, not just one session, because I want it to be something that becomes a culture for us, because joy is the, the name of who we are, but joy doesn't exist without the the priorities and, the, and the, the imprint of Jesus on our, our everything. We can't selectively choose what parts of him we want to embody. We have to take on the whole thing, and I'll tell you, the whole thing involves a radical reorientation away from the successful being the chosen. It's the poor and the lowly are the chosen. And I'm excited to bring the Spirit of God and partner with the Spirit of God no matter what it looks like on the outside. All right. It's a really, really good message because I need it. I need it. I need it. And I need you guys to need it with me. And if you don't feel like you need it yet, start praying, God, give me authority to carry your Spirit to those who need it most. Give me authority to help in a way that transforms lives, not just aids lives. You can't do it if your priorities are all mixed up. You'll just start bringing like capitalistic ascension triggers. You'll be like, hey, you can aspire for more and you could get more wealthy and you could get a home that someday is yours. It's like, what? Jesus is like, I didn't even have a house. Like, like it's not, that's not Jesus, right? That's not Jesus. You don't go to someone who's in need and give them 
the story of like our culture. You go to them with the spirit of God and know that God can do anything, anything for eternal change in their life. And it may involve those things, but that's not what he's after. He loves them and he loves you and he wants you to function in joy and in life and in power. And so there's more to come. So just put a, put a marker in this, more to come. I want you guys with me. Let's, I promised you we'd repent today. If you take this seriously and you actually come back to this moment and you say, God, check me every time I start to kind of veer off the values of just the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so that simple idea is supposed to just fill you so that you can see poverty and you're, you're excited. You're not intimidated or, or diagnosing. You're just, you're excited because there's probably faith here. There's probably faith here. I bet this person has great faith to survive in the way they're surviving. Probably more than me. I gotta, I gotta go bring Jesus to them in a way that they've never brought it to them before. And you may find that they turn around and give it right back to you. But we're going to repent today for prioritizing in the way that the, the church in Jerusalem prioritized. Where they saw the wealthy and they saw the successful and they're like, you should be our leaders. You should sit towards the front. We're at risk of this because we've had successful leaders here. Myself included for a long time. And I, I, I'm a successful leader. Your previous, my buddy Ryan, he's a successful guy. And so sometimes we can confuse that with being a value system that he or I have. That's not it. The, the value system is we align with Jesus in everything. And that is then changes from I need to ascend like the, the bad ones did to I can do anything if on assignment. God will put me on assignment anywhere and there I can have joy, peace, righteousness, and favor to the degree God wants it. It's not even about it, right? It's not about it. I can have the fullness of life as I'm on assignment and I want you guys with me to repent if, like the, new ch the church in Jerusalem, you've, you've been under the influence or pre-wired to prioritize success and material progress in a way that Jesus never would have. Forgive me for the simple ones are just like devaluing the poor, but even in your own heart and mind is like pushing pushing the, the perspective and priority of the rich to the front of your mind when Jesus actually showed up as the poor and tried to model to say, this is actually the fullness of the kingdom here on earth and, and ignoring that. So we want to repent for being on that side of it. And then the other side that I want to invite you guys into is devaluing yourself because on the spectrum of success, wealth, priority, influence, all those things, You've said to yourself, I am lower than these other ones. You go, Warren Buffett is a greater man than I am, more successful in some way, because he's kind of the epitome of wealth. Or you, you pick, pick them, you know, pick, pick whoever you want. Somebody in our cultural eye where you go, that is a version of success I aspire to be. But in doing that, you don't say, oh, that's great. God's using that. I don't know if, anything about his life. But like, you don't, you don't pick people and go, they're here and I'm here. We're people. We're here. And Jesus is king. He is high and exalted. And so for 
my, my really core concern, and this is true, frankly, of all of you, because it's true of me, never devaluing yourself, thinking less of yourself, and agreeing with a lie because you feel that you're poor in some way. God is not looking at you going, you're poor, therefore I'm not interested. He's actually shouting the opposite. He's saying, oh, this area of poverty in your life, whether it's finances or emotional strength or anything, he's like, there's so much faith there. I am excited about who you are in that arena. Don't, don't be down on yourself. So I want to repent today of just accepting a lower opinion of ourselves because of the greater way we think about what matters in our life, okay? All right, so I'm gonna pray, and I just wanna invite you guys to pray the same prayer. And then let's see where this goes. I think it's gonna take us somewhere. So Father, we just, we come to you with repentance this morning. We ask God that you would forgive us for the many ways that we've prioritized wealth and success over kingdom and people. Jesus, let us see you, open our eyes to see you as you were, not as we want you to be. We thank you for coming to us in Galilee. We thank you for coming to us through your brother James and saying, Things like blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble, the lowly, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we ask God, we just repent for prioritizing certain friends. We, we repent for prioritizing certain opinions. We repent for aligning with bosses or, or mentors or leaders in the past who have not been in alignment with you, Jesus, and your value for people. We ask, God, that you'd begin to rewire us, reprogram us, that the strongholds of wealth and aspiration and ascension, ambition, really, would be broken down in every aspect of our lives. That you'd expose it, you'd give us opportunity, God, to begin practice around resurrection power and hopeful life where we see as you see, we think as you think. And God, on the other side, we ask for forgiveness for demeaning ourselves and accepting a lower opinion of ourselves than you have. Because you've called us blessed. And you've said we're your children. And so God, we, we just ask today that you would give us great value for ourselves, regardless of where we're at in life. We ask that you would heal our hearts from the abuse that we've, we've inflicted on ourselves at times. And we just vow not to speak negatively over ourselves any longer. We just declare that we are your children. Your children are beautiful, highly valued, and strong. And so we just declare that strength, that value, and that beauty over ourselves. And we ask you, God, for this church. We repent for anything in the past or even what's to come. We just want this place to be a place of great refuge, a place where anyone can experience the presence of God 
and experience love. And we ask for your transformative power to begin to rest on us. And we ask that you would just prompt us and challenge us anytime we act out of a spirit of, of mis, misappropriating value, priority and preference for the, the wealthy. We ask God that in a city where great acclaim has come because of the aspirational thinking and the amazing ambition and all those things, we pray, God, that the humility of Christ would live and dwell here and that resurrection power would begin to break out amongst us. We thank you for the opportunity to change, and we invite it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 I want to encourage you guys, some are better at this and more advanced at this than others. All aspects of the faith are that way. Some have really taken steps in life to really counter the spirit of ambition and counter the spirit of priority for wealth and different things. And you know them. And you guys probably on the spectrum of all your friends, you have a whole range, right? We're not here to condemn anyone that's not advanced in this arena, but I just be wise. If you want to align with Christ, you have to embrace those who are in the same pursuit. If you want to value something, you have to partner with people who value it. It's hard to stand alone against not just a mindset that your parents or somebody gave you. This is like a regional, territorial, national. This is a major, major spirit that ambition would win the day, right? In the church. Just talking about the church, let alone the culture at large. So be wise and, and pursue good gifts. It's a gift to have the mindset of Christ particularly as it relates to people. So as you go, love. As you go, go slower when you see those in need. I'm not telling you to give money away. I think that's, there's, some, there's wisdom in not giving money away. I think there's wisdom in giving love and, and asking the Holy Spirit, how do I help and how do I meet needs? Uh, money is not the answer. Jesus didn't walk around handing out cash. <laughs> I don't think he did. I don't see that anywhere in there. That's a shortcut. That's a cultural concept where it's like if I give cash away, I'm helping somebody up the chain, right? It's that same mindset. Not to say we shouldn't help the poor with finances, but there's wisdom in not handing cash out. And I'll just tell you, as we begin to go and, and to serve our community at large, we're not going to go with money. We're not going with money. And it's not because we don't have it. It's because it's not the message. It's not the core of it. There's wisdom in not doing that. There's wisdom in getting God's eyes, ears, heart, and then giving a ton of value to a human being with your love and your priority. Come here, sit with me, be my friend today. Like, me, let me get to know you. Let me connect with you as a person. I'm not going to judge you and, and criticize you. And I, I'm, I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see that. And it will take work. It's gonna be hard work. It's gonna be weird. We're going to have all kinds of fun doing it. So I just want to encourage you guys. You're designed for this moment. God is really excited about this change in your life. And with it comes a ton of authority to really heal and help and restore people. And so that's what we're after. We love you. We have people that will pray with you if you want to get prayer today. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a good Sunday. See you next week.